Hey, this is Carl. Are you struggling to replicate the bugs and performance issues customers are reporting? Plug Raygun into your web and mobile applications right now and diagnose problems in minutes rather than hours. Kiss goodbye to having to dig through log files and relying on frustrated users to report issues. Make your software development life so much easier using Raygun's error, crash, and performance monitoring tools. Every software team can create flawless software experiences for their customers with Raygun. Try it free today at raygun.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, this is Carl Franklin. I'm, nice. I'm sorry, my latency is a little high. You, you got a little network thing going on there, A little network thing, maybe. It's, <laughs> it's actually just a joke because it's a precursor for my Better Know framework. So oh, roll that right. crazy music, funky boy. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? You're going to love this. Will I? Will I really? I think so. This is from berkeley.edu. It's latency numbers every programmer should know. And there's a sliding scale. And this is, you know, memory, disk, and network. That goes from 1990 to 2019. Oh, that's cool. And if you slide the scale, and we're talking about L1 cache, L2 cache, um, Compressing 1K with Zippy, right? Uh, sending 2K over commodity network, SSD random reads, round trips, disk seeking, right? Packet round trip, California to right. Netherlands. So sort of all the numbers that are sort of significant in machine behavior. Although I'm going to question one of the numbers. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. It's the one in the bottom right. It's the round trip from California to the Netherlands, which is 150 milliseconds in 2019. Mm -hmm. And you can dial all the way back to 1990, where it's still 150 milliseconds. Well, that's really interesting. And in fact, really nothing has significantly changed in any of these since 2005. Yeah, so, I guess for the most part, it's yeah, little tiny memory improvements. Yep. But and once you get to SSDs, it almost doesn't make a difference. But the fact that, you know, in 1990, there's no way we had self-repeating uh, fiber optic cable running under the ocean. It was copper and it was slower. Yeah. Maybe that so. one is broken because if you think about it, all the other ones, you know, make sense. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're pretty good. And what I like, what this really represents is just like... We, we are still getting faster, but the differences are so small now, Right, it's hard to even measure it, right? It's like, why don't we know the speed of our CPUs anymore? Because it just doesn't just matter. just doesn't matter, and they really haven't gotten any faster. We've added more well, they, of them. They but... have, but not in a way that means anything to you. Right, yeah, yeah. They're, they could do more parallel. It's like, okay, you went from, from 100 milliseconds to 75 milliseconds. Yeah. How do you feel? Because it's 25% improvement, man. Like, that's that's not trivial. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, I, I thought you would really get a kick out of this, Mr. Campbell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's going to show up in one of your talks. It's one of my, yeah, it's one of my kind of things. Yeah, but it, it is interesting to think in terms of latency numbers. Yep. I'd like to thank Joel Hewlin for that. Thank you, Joel. Nice. Good one. Yep. Uh, who's talking to us today, Mr. Campbell? 
Well, we haven't talked about wind farms in a while. True. So I, I had to mine a bit, and I went back to show 1095, so 1095. That's from February of 2015, and it's a show we did with Phil Japixi. Yeah. We were talking about migrating from wind farms to WPF, which, by the way, got a ton of comments, and and Phil interacted with them and so forth. Like really kind of cool conversation because there's lots of folks out there with wind farms app yeah. back then and today. And this said comments from Aaron Olds, who says, uh, this is a great show. I've been working for the same company for almost 14 years. Presumably, he hasn't moved, so now it's 19 years. In early 2005, we were having trouble with our VB6 application. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was only like six years after VB6 stopped being updated at that point in 2005. Specifically, some of the third-party controls, like those companies were going out of business, I bet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I took on the task to move us to .NET, and since my background had been C++, I advocated using C Sharp. My right. boss was on board, and I set off to train the VB devs. I started to build the application and found I really needed a framework to help me architect our solution, and I found the Smart Client Software Factory, aka CAB. Wow, there is a flashback to the PNP yeah, right. in the early days of .NET. If you don't know, and I'm sure you do know, it's the WinForm framework that serves us for many years, almost 10 to be exact. Yeah, because it was 2005 and he's writing this in 2015. Now I'd like to transition our application to WPF. But my boss's first question will be, how long will it take? You know, the one question you can't answer. Right. Now I've written a couple of apps in WPF, an internal CRM package and a dashboard, both of which I've received positive feedback on. But our bread and butter application is a monster. Hmm. It's well over two plus million lines of code, which we've been actively developing, maintaining and adding features to since 2005. Wow. So to answer his question... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I know him well enough to know his response. Time is money. We've invested 10 years in this application and it works. It works well. And now we'd have to rewrite the whole application. That would take years and millions of dollars, which I mean, none of this is actually true, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, they put in 10 years and it works and works well. Unless you show something that WPF does that's important. And then you don't have to rewrite the whole application. All the logic is going to continue to function. This is a UX replacement. Mm. And even then it could be partial, right? Right. So at the end of the day, your ideas are noble, but for us dark matter developers, and he puts in parentheses Scott Hansman, because you're allowed to say dark matter developer in 2015. I don't know. That's true. I don't know. We have to go where the money is, and unfortunately, the only way I'll ever get to program WPF is if Microsoft announces they are going to remove WinForms from the .NET stack, and that will probably never happen. And here we are in 2019, and it's like, Aaron, that's definitely not going to happen. They've got mm, a definitely. new WinForm stack coming in .NET 3. That's right. So <laughs> it's never, ever going to happen, but that's also not the reason you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there there is a pitch for WPF. And if you don't have that, this is what it's going to buy us that provides new value to the business, then you probably shouldn't do it. Because WinForms works, and it's hard to argue with in terms of raw performance and simplicity and where you're, when your users know where things are. There's a bunch of other reasons to use WPF, but it's not just for that. I agree. And especially you nailed it with, and we'll, we'll see what Tim has to say about this. I'm sure he's got a lot to say about it. But, you know, with support for high DPI Windows forms and yep. uh, easy deployment and packaging everything up into one uh, executable in, you know, Core 3 or .NET 3. What are we calling the? It's still Core 3. It's Core 3. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there, there's the with that kind of support coming out of Redmond, it makes sense to to just upgrade it. Yeah, if you're going, you, there are cases for WPF. And I think one of the things is that WPF has a 
much better tolerance for varying screen sizes. Like it's actually really hard to resize a wind form. It really well. is. Yeah, the GDI stuff doesn't scale well. Yeah, it's just not. It's not what it's meant for. And it, and right. it never was a thing. You know, you think about what wind forms was founded on. It was founded on you know ten twenty four by seven sixty eight resolution screens. That's right, Battleship Gray. There you go. So as soon as you start playing in tablet land or anything like that, there's a conversation to be had about a, a UX, a UI that has more flexibility. And, and that's that's where WPF plays better. And if, but you don't have that problem. You've got no real case to be made. I mean, I'm willing to be wrong here. Folks want to make other arguments for why you want to switch WPF. Mm. But it's, it can't be just for new and shiny. Like, boss is not wrong. But it's also you've got to scope the problem too. If he, if anybody's coming at you with we have to rewrite the whole application, you've yeah they better have a yourself. good reason. Yeah, yeah, that never is true, right? Yeah, we don't throw away whole apps. We always bring something forward. Uh, but either way, Aaron, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Go By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Go By, write a comment on the website at dotnetrocks.com or on the social media as we publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, I'll send you a copy of Music to Go By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet, please. And uh, we <laughs> promise we will respond with low latency. Nice. You nice. sure you're not running Java? <laughs> oh, wait. Dude. That's a different joke. I'm sorry. I feel bad. <laughs> we are so over the Java latency jokes, man. Are you? So are you really? That. I don't know. Well, who you are. You, I am. I don't know about you. While we're recording this, by the way, there is an Oracle conference going on right now, and the tweets coming from various snarky and sarcastic people that I know that are at this conference are brilliant. Okay. Because, well. you know, you can't argue with our Oracle when they're talking about their database, but when they talk about their cloud, that's pretty funny. Mm. And, and near as I can tell, they're just not talking about Java. What's Java? All right. Anyway. Uh, let's bring on Tim. I'm sure he has a lot to add to this conversation, um, you know, from that comment and uh, beyond. Tim, Corey has made just about every misstep possible in his journey to become a C-sharp developer. And now he makes it his mission to make learning C-sharp easier. He operates a YouTube channel with over 180 videos on C-sharp development, including fresh content twice a week. He also creates full courses at imtimcorey.com for those who want even more content. If you want to learn C-sharp, Tim will do his best to help you. Welcome, Tim Corey. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, hey, before we get into that that uh, um, comment, we were talking before we started recording, and I was telling you I was doing this, you know, jumping into Blazor full stack, and you said you did a video on client-side Blazor, and, but then something interesting happened. What was it? Yeah, so I released the video on Monday. I think it was Wednesday or so. It's so about two days later that the the next version of Blazor came out and basically broke all my demos. Oh, that's awesome. Of course. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So there's actually two videos on Blazor on my on my YouTube channel. The second one being, okay, here's how to fix the first one. I, nice. I really don't like about YouTube that you can't just like replace a video. If you own the video, I want to be able to update it, and they won't let you do that. No, you have to drop. You have to remove it and add a new one. Yeah, or add a stupid link that says, hey, this video is out of date. Click here to go to the right one, and nobody does. Yeah. Anyway, so taking an old WinForms app and should we move to WPF, what's your criteria for that? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, WPF is, I think, the, the 
better platform when it comes to like um, Richard is saying the scalability, you know, so with the screen size we have now using better uh, screen real estate, the ability to um, better do accessibility. Those are all great features. Yeah. Um, right. But like you said, there's a, there's that investment you don't want to lose. So I don't think that it's just a, okay, WinForms is dead. Let's move to DPF, yeah. throw everything out. But I do like the idea of let's evaluate our application and maybe pull pieces off and upgrade them over time and hopefully have a better user interface experience down the road. But at the same time, we've also made our application better because the story can't just be it's a newer, flashier UI. It's got to be it provides better business value. Well, and if you were if you're building a WinForms app that's like an MDI app where everything's dockable, you're going to click on a button that's going to hop you out of that into a WPF uh, client of some kind. And that's going to be a weird experience. Like it's a challenge to that mix the two together. But I could see, you know, you can imagine a workload in somebody's internal application where, hey, this is the piece of the app that the guys in the warehouse are trying to use on tablets. And so we've been struggling to make it work in WinForms. Could we carve that piece off and make it a WTF Absolutely. app? Well, we were just talking to Elias Purunin last week about a he had an old Delphi app that he managed to bring onto the web. Uh, it's a great story if you didn't listen to that show. And he was lucky because the developers of the original Delphi app abstracted all the logic out of the UI. They didn't necessarily use a view model, but they put all the logic that was completely separate from the events in a separate module. And I just wonder how many WinForms developers did that. You know, did they anticipate anything like that when when they wrote their uh, WinForms applications? Well, and that's part of the upgrade process. I think that really helps your application get better. Um, the the commenter mentioned they have what one point five two million lines of code in their WinForm yeah. application. Yeah. Is that really in your WinForm application? Because that's that's the first place to start. Yeah, if it's in code behind that good luck class that. library. Yeah. You move yeah. into a class library, make your application better, more extensible. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and then you get the benefits from that. And eventually you just replace the user interface and it's not as big a deal. Yeah. It's a, there's nothing small there, you know, in terms of thinking differently about how the application goes forward. But I always want to lead with a business case and finding a place where WinForms is falling down is very feasible. That being said, this I'm still seeing great projects built in WinForms. I don't know where you fall on this, Tim, but it's like it works for a lot of problems. I think we have all these different tools and it's a good thing. I don't like mm-hmm. the idea of one tool is best or this is the only tool for. Mm. I, I prefer to say that we have this this spectrum and each of our use cases is different. And so we pick the best tool for our use case. So I definitely think that WinForm still has a, a great story even going forward. And what story is that in your mind? Like, how do you describe it? So there's a few areas I think that WinForms is really amazing. Um, the first one is when you're learning C-sharp, I think it's it's awesome. Now, I, I am not of the mindset that the first thing you learn in C-sharp is WinForms. I think that's kind of horrible because of the fact that it really is object-oriented programming. And if you're starting off with using object-oriented programming, it's magic. And I really hate magic because when magic breaks, everything falls apart. So, But right. once you start learning, XAML just adds another piece on top. You have to learn the XAML 
language or layout, whatever you want to call it, it'll learn that as well as your C-sharp code. And, and so the, the idea binding of, and all that stuff, it's sure. not trivial. Sure. And so that, that intermediate step of WinForm is a great learning tool. So that's, that's the first you know, really big use case I see. But then any, any fast application you need to do, rapid application development, that is WinForms. Now, you yeah, can right. argue that if you're good enough at WPF, you can do something similar, but it, it's harder. With the new um, high DPI settings in .NET 3, does it make it easier to try to do any kind of rescaling? I have not gotten into the rescaling in .NET Core 3 yet. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not. I much. haven't either. Yeah. I mean, I I'm, I'm, I'm watching for that show, but I want someone out in the wild using final bits yeah. to have actually, you know, started working with that. Preferably someone who's got a project where high DPI burned them. Yeah. You know, in my perfect scenario, like the story I'm looking for is a, someone with a significant win format that they were struggling with the fact that people wanted high DPI screens and these apps didn't work well with them. Now they're experimenting with the new version of WinForms, uh, the, the SDK for .NET Core 3. Mm. I just haven't found that person yet. And it only exists at this moment before Core 3 is shipped. It'll be shipped after this thing is published. But, right. you know, I bet it'll be three months or more before we finally get real stories from the field of people using this thing and saying, this is what worked and this is what didn't. We don't even have a visual designer yet for WinForms. Which is interesting. So that's kind of, that's kind of problematic. <laughs> and it's the claim to fame of WinForms, right? <laughs> yeah. Drag and drop as long as you can write and code. There you go. I mean, going all the way back to 1991 for crying out loud. Do you um, recommend that people start a WinForms app if you're going to write a production application? Is there any case to write a new WinForms app today? Or are we just talking about all legacy apps? There's a case for it. Um, it's a smaller case. It's getting smaller and smaller. Um, but the case, I think, centers around speed. If yeah. you have to move fast on something, again, that rapid application development, mm-hmm. and WinForms is the way to go. Now, I do highly recommend that you put all of your code possible into a class library because at some point, you're going to want to replace that with a WPF application. And if you already have your code external to your UI, then it's just a matter of replacing your UI, not your UI and your business logic. There's a case to be made for writing a PWA with Blazor. Uh, I have been more productive with that than I have been in a long time, uh, certainly on the web, even more productive than using web forms, which is just slightly less productive than using Windows forms. So I'm, I'm saying that we ought to take a look at that before we... Uh, you know, before we start a, a production Windows uh, Forms app. Sure, it matters if you want the uh, the power of the desktop, though. That's the the big thing. I mean, Blazor's going to give you some of that, but if you want deep deep power, then you did still want the desktop app. Yeah, you're still running in the browser context. So, you know, if you need to access a disk, if you need yeah, that's, external devices, you know, all those things are going to stumble. That's true right now. And by right now, I mean uh, September 17th. This is coming out almost a month later. Um, you know, we're looking at a Blazor app in an Electron shell in the future might get us there. Yeah, and I don't think the future is a month from now. I'm, no, no, I think no. It'll be definitely six not. Six months from now. Definitely not. But, but you know, that is something to look to look for. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And it's, and it's just not that many greenfield apps either. That's true. I think I think the I think the folks that are listening to this that are living with WinForms are wondering: Am I making a mistake continuing to build WinForms apps, or should I be fighting to move to something else? I think at the very least, as Tim said, good get all your logic in a separate assembly. You know, because that protects you from, uh, you know, when it's time to move to another platform. At least if you're using the latest .NET version, you know, if you can get it that code to .NET standard, then you're you're poised to move when moving is necessary. So I built a course um, a while ago, and it was about 25 hours. I built a start to finish application. Wow! And I built it in WinForms, and I specifically designed it with that type of pattern in mind. So it's 25 hours. Now, of course, I'm explaining things as I'm doing it. Um, but at the end of it, then I created two add-on courses. One was for uh, ASP.NET MVC, and one was for WPF. Nice. And I replaced just the WinForm UI with those other pieces. And they were about six hours each for those add-on courses because we didn't have to redo the business logic. We didn't have to redo the data access. It was just the user interface. And so that's the kind of model I try and advocate is mm. put as much as you can there so that, yes, there's still pain. Yes, there's still work, but it's a whole lot less proportionally. Right. Well, and that ratio seems to be pretty consistent. It's like 80% of the app can be carried from UX to UX implementation. It's 20% for replacing the UX. Absolutely. Well, and the other misconception that a lot of newer, and I do a lot of newer C-sharp developers, but a lot of the misconception is that the user interface is the application. Right, right. sure. Oh, it's a WPF application. Well, that's the user interface, but the actual application, the code is C-sharp. Yeah. And if you can pull that out, then the user interface isn't nearly as important. Right. Yeah, I just think it's challenging to do that in Rev1. When you're exploring what the app's going to be, you you know sure. you're usually communicating with the consumers of that app via the user interface. Is it possible to do MVVM in uh, Windows Forms? Technically, yes, but it's um, painful and difficult. Mm. <laughs> it's not a natural way to work in WinForms. No. Yeah. Just like you can technically have the screen resolution adjust or screen layout adjust based upon resolution. Yeah. But again, yeah. it's not a natural thing. Yeah, your views are somewhat restrictive. It's been so long since I built a WinForms app. Yeah. Those were the days. But wildly productive, right? Like just you just to remember how quickly you worked. It's true. It's uh yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get back to that that, that sort of mindset. Then again, you know, when you what what you were left with was kind of limited, you know, limited. Okay, let me argue with this in a completely different direction. Yeah. Which is we're, you know, cause we're talking all the implication here is, yeah, you can build in warm forms, but plan for being obsolete. And what if it's like, why waste your time with that? Just write it as quickly as you can in wind forms, knowing if it's obsolete, it's not like it's going to burst into flames and stop working, but you'll rewrite it. You'll write a new, you'll, you know, you'll tear it apart and redo it in in the future like the overhead of that architecture i mean how high is it sure well it's it's the idea of prototyping or you know doing some kind of agile development right where you put it out there and get the user's feedback and say okay that didn't work 
and you readjust and the readjustments quicker. And you've got an interesting implication there, which is that understanding what the user actually needs also represents time and asset to the to the application. So even if you do throw away all of the code, you're going to move faster this next time. Absolutely. It's really it's it's interesting to think about uh, and just in terms of what you actually know about your application and your customers' needs around that application when you're looking at an older app. It's not just the code base, right? It's the familiarity that those users have. Hmm. Yeah. And you found all those pain points too. Mm-hmm. If it's documented, I mean, how much of that knowledge is only existing in the app? Like, do you know the thinking around a piece of software? Especially when, like, I'm, again, I'm thinking back to Aaron's story there of a 10-year working on an app, 10 years of working on an application, what's lost and what's found? Like, who remembers why we did these things the way we did? Well, I think the key word you just mentioned there is documented, and that's just laughable. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the truth, is documentation. <laughs> right. On the other hand, studying a workflow of someone being done manually with paper and studying the workflow of someone using an application is very different. You, yes. you could just screen cap somebody's workday in that app and know a lot about what they do. Absolutely. Especially you can watch all the things they do around the application. Mm-hmm. What doesn't I was get looking caught for a- by the app? What, what, what is inefficient? Where they struggle? It's really sure. fascinating so to watch a video of someone fighting with an application they use every day. They don't even realize they're fighting it anymore. Hmm. I did a search for um, some enterprise software for a, a university I was working for. And we went to one site and the, the sales guy brings us in and said, okay, here's a customer that's using our software. And he watched her workflow and half of it was Excel. Interesting. And yeah. that distressed him. And he's like, well, why are you doing this? Well, this can't do this, you know, and actually half of it, it could do. Right. It's just that she didn't know how to do it because it was training or it was poorly laid out. Mm-hmm. So even just watching outside of your application, the whole PC experience to see when are you jumping out of the application to do other work. And, and odds are this person didn't realize that that needing to jump out of the app was some kind of failure. They were just trying to be productive. Like I, I can't imagine a user ever telling you I need to be trained better. Absolutely not. Because it, they, which to me, what you were describing was they needed more training. Sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think the average consumer of software ever thinks that way. There's a lot of um, potential gotchas when trying to even upgrade an old, let's say, .NET 2.0 WinForms app to the latest version of the .NET framework. Um, not the least of which is custom controls, which many of us relied on heavily, third-party custom controls. You know, there there wasn't, back in those days, there wasn't any th- such thing as real working open source Windows forms controls. So we purchased them all from companies. Some of those companies have brought them forward into the future. Some have not. And uh, so therein, that, that's probably... The biggest biggest stumbling block I can think of for somebody just being able to upgrade their WindForms app to the latest version of the framework. What do you think about that? Dependencies are hard. Um, and the more you take, the harder it gets. And absolutely, it's, that's going to be a, a major pain point. And so if you can reduce your dependencies, that's amazing. But of course, 
you know, if you relied on it, then you can't. And so you're going to have to either rewrite or you're going to have to, hopefully you can get the source code for that and upgrade it. But that's again, a, a lesser possibility. Right. It, it's a challenge. And in doing that assessment, you think, um, you know, at a certain point, look at all the work here that's going to go into just getting what we have into the future. How much more effort is it going to be to, you know, rewrite this, let's say, in WPF or even in the latest version of WinForms with, you know, newer controls that might be different? Yeah, it's definitely an evaluation you have to go through. And that, so I have a course where I go through and I replace um, a .NET framework application with a .NET core application, kind of upgrade it. And one of the things that that I do is for personally for me is I kind of throw the manual out and I just start upgrading. And let's see what happens. And let's see what breaks. And that's a really good indicator because there's there's tools out there. Microsoft has got a great tool out there to um, evaluate all your different libraries and see what's um, going to work and what's not going to work, what's um, compatible or not. But really, I find that if you just just try it and see everything that breaks and then start doing your research, then you have a better picture of, okay, these are the things that are really a problem, whereas these things have an upgrade path available to them. Yeah. And it's interesting that I just suddenly have this tone of suddenly of, you know, you bought these control suites to increase productivity. And now you're looking at them as an as a liability that it's like, uh-oh, now, you know, we have all this code that we don't necessarily have control over and we're trying to move. You know, is there a clean path from the third-party controls I bought in for .NET 2 to .NET 4.8? Like what, what, what does that actually look like? And I guess it depends from vendor to vendor. It's hard to know. Yeah. If I was a vendor, I would be loath to open source my .NET 2.0 versions of my controls that I'm still selling for the current version of .NET. Yeah. I would presume that it's a clean upgrade path though. If you're still selling the new ones that it just move them forward. Yeah, I would hope so. Hey uh, guys, hold that thought for just a moment while we take a minute for this very important message. Hey, what are you doing Monday, November 4th? How about Monday, November 25th? Or Monday, December 16th? Well, I'll be teaching an online server-side Blazor workshop on all three of these days. In one day, we'll deep dive into Blazor and build an application with EF Core 3, reusable Blazor components, API controllers, ASP.NET Core identity, user and role management, file uploads, and SignalR for collaboration between clients. All this using the free version of Visual Studio 2019 Community Edition and no third-party tools, only open-source tools and what comes with .NET Core 3. Go to blazor.appvnext.com for details. Links to the other two workshops are listed there. I'll see you online. All right, we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Richard Campbell, and that's Tim Corey, and we're talking about old applications and moving them forward into the future. And we just have been sort of focusing on Windows Forms because that's what we did back in the day. I, You know, console applications have become my new Windows Forms when I want just like a, a throwaway test application. And I remember seeing people doing them, and I'm thinking, oh, that's not sexy. And I'm thinking, who cares? I just need to crunch some numbers here, right? It doesn't matter. I don't need to see a grid. <laughs> so I taught um, college for five years in C-sharp. 
And the first five weeks of my class were all console. That's all you did. Because it's just so simple. It, it takes away all of the stuff. And it's just write your code. And you, know, you, and you mentioned going into WinForms as a learning tool as well. It almost, I think, when you're first learning C-sharp, working from the console makes a lot of sense because you're just stripping away a whole layer of things you don't want to think about while you're getting your feet wet with the language. I kind of know where he's going, though. What I liked about learning code with Windows Forms was the instant gratification. Now, granted, that because it looked like every other Windows application at the time, I thought I was very smart. Right, because oh look, a battleship gray windows form. Yes, look at that. I can do that with three lines of code. Nowadays, I don't know, it kind of looks a little outdated. So maybe the instant gratification factor is a little bit lower these days with Windows Forms than it was for me anyway, back in the early two thousands. Well, the book will still teach you to start with Windows Forms. I've got a book that I was supposed to teach through and I taught in reverse order, essentially. I did chapter eight before I did chapter one. Hmm. But chapter one was drag button onto form, drag text box or yeah, text box onto form, and then double click button, say it, have it say hello world, hello Tim. Yeah. And magic, you have an application. The problem is that in Windows Forms, if you double click in the wrong spot, it gets you your event handler, but it's not the right one. And so you go back and you double click the right spot. And you put your code in, but they say, well, I have this extra event handler I don't need, this extra code that I'm not yeah, using. Right. You delete it. And then you go back to your Windows form, and the designer has this yellow screen of death. Hmm. And I talked to a lot of students, and the solution that they came up with that even sometimes a teacher would advocate is delete your application and start over. Wow. Because the magic broke. And that's what happens when you teach magic. When the magic breaks, you have no recourse. That's right. And so that's why I'd, I'd wait until week five or week six to teach wind forms. Because at that point, you understand object oriented programming. You understand eventing. Yeah. You understand the code behind and, and how it's working. And so when you get that error, you can go and delete that, that event uh, code that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And you're fine. But it's that it's not magic anymore, it's science. Yeah. And of course, the reflex to just delete and start over is you've only put a minute or two into this, so it's not that big of a deal. But I, I get what you're saying about you're reinforcing these magic effects. You know, right. So if I make a mistake three months into working on this, I have to throw it all away? Yeah. It is a bad teaching technique that they, that they were running into. That's all. You know what sure. it is? It just hit me what it is. It's teaching to a demo rather than teaching for understanding. Hmm. The, the build a form and make a form work in a few seconds. That's a demo. Yeah. It's not it good teaching. No bearing in the real world. Yeah. It's not only no bearing in the real world. It hasn't taught you what you actually needed to know. You took a demo and called it a lesson. It, that's a mistake, a nasty one. Hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I got to agree with that. You, when, you're, when you're doing something together with, with a student, you have to progress at uh, a level where you can be teaching at every step of the way so that they know exactly what's going to happen and what's going on. But again, you get into this idea that how we teach people about software that's going to be useful, like don't, starting with a form is basically setting them up for going down the wrong path. Starting with the question, like, what are we trying to solve? 
Yeah. Well, it's also starting from the idea that the user interface is the application. Is the application. Yeah, you sort of set that foundation right up front. And and it's and it's a mistake. So and I think we're I'm thinking about folks that are listening to this show that have got these apps and it's like how much differently you think today about the software you you own that, that you're carrying and feeding for than you did when you started. And that and it really does tie back to this idea of why how you would organize it differently because you now know you're gonna have to live with it. I'm 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 working this through in my head and I'm just talking out loud while I'm going. It's like you don't re-architect the software because you want to get away from WinForms mm. or that you think you'll need to get away from WinForms. You re-architect the software because it makes better software. That you will be able to do all those things. But also it sounds like it'll be, you know, if you go through that process, your software's more testable, it's more maintainable. You understand the code coverage issues you have better. You know what we you know where the residents of changes are. Like that's what modernizing software to me it really seems like the the fact that you might be able to move away from WinForms when they ask you to, that's almost secondary to the point. Absolutely. So, how much WinForms dev are you doing, Tim? It depends on. I do a lot of demo work, so I do all teaching, and so I do mm-hmm. um, my demos. About I'd say probably half of them are in are in uh, WinForms. Now I'm, I'm working on transitioning some of that, so I'm doing some Blazor, I'm doing some WPF. Uh, but it really depends on the subject matter I'm teaching. Because again, if, right. if you need something quicker, but you need that that richer user interface in the console, then WinForms is the place to go. So it, console it's, it's first, because then there's just no com- complexity around UX of any kind. Then WinForms just because it's super easy? Yeah, and it's, it's there's not a lot of stuff around it. And so when I try and teach something. I try and teach that topic. And I don't want to teach you okay, here's how XAML works and here's how binding works in XAML and here's how MVVM works. And okay, now we've got through two hours of teaching. Now I can teach you about how to do a pop-up box. That's just kind of <laughs> overkill. So I try and so take it down. the strength to- of WinForms actually that so much of these kinds of rules around how you present information is already set by the design of WinForms. Yeah, I think the opinionated software is great, especially when opinions aren't forced on you. So, for example, the .NET Core has some opinions about DI and logging that is great, especially when you're just getting started. Mm-hmm. You know, So when you're just starting the .NET Core app, you might not know that you want DI or dependency injection or which one you want. But you can just start off and you have it. It's there. But then down the road, you say, you know what? I really want to have more features or more options. You can upgrade to an auto fact and it's just switching out the tooling. You know, there's 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 no um, hard work there involved. So I really like to have the smart people at, at Microsoft say this is the way to do things. And then if I say, well, from my situation, I want to do things a little bit differently, I can do that. But for 95% of the cases, I want to use what the smart people tell me to do. Mm. My issue with WinForms is that it's strongly opinionated, but you can't vary very far from what it wants you to do. Correct. And my problem with WPF is it does its very best to hide its opinion and then says, you go and figure out how you want to do anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that, that's overwhelming. And by the way, here's a cryptic binding syntax that you have to learn before you can even get Hello World going. 
Well, you can just do the drag and drop that you learn from wind forms and break everything. Sure. <laughs> you know, and, and that and that's kind of what I get the argument once in a while of is, well, WPF is just like wind forms. You can still drag and drop. And it's like, well, sure, you're just incurring technical debt because yeah. it's not set up for that. It does it. It's just not a good idea. Yeah. I feel like this is a general conversation about client-side development in 2019. Obviously, wind forms and WPF are the big ones. This new thing with Blazor seems really interesting, so it is sort of client-side, sort of not. Are there other options, Tim, when you're thinking about other client-side development? Well, I think the, the first big one not to overlook is console applications. Yep, There's a sure. lot of great stories around console. The idea that, first of all, it's a, it's a rapid application development, but it's also, you know, it can just run. So you can run in the background, whether it's, you know, scheduling it or running as a service. Mm. And now that we have worker services, that kind of expands that, that flow. But really what we're talking about here is we have this, this spectrum. It's no longer just desktop or web. We've right. got this, this slider now we can look at and evaluate where we need to be on that slider. So instead of just saying we have to be desktop or we have to be web, now I can say, well, we like desktop, we like that in power, but we really need to have some of that deployability of the web and have some of that. And so we can move to Blazor or we can mm-hmm. move you know, even closer to the .NET core stuff with uh, Razor pages or other things like that. And so you have that option of going, not just, you know, offer on yes or no, but it's whatever fits best in your organization. That's where you, f- you land on the slider. Yeah. I mean, console apps can be very good. Um, even if you have to do some light, you know, two-dimensional work like grids. I mean, you don't, obviously you're not going to see a lot of data, but you know, if you just need to print out a little table or something like that, also, you know, you can create a a CSV file and uh, automatically push that to the user if they need to look at something um, and then, you know, upload that back again. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can get around not having a graphical user interface in a lot of applications, you know, especially if you're just dealing with text data. And if we get back to the idea of why we become, become developers in the first place, and it was to, to fix problems, to make things better. Mm. And these little applications, the console applications can do that. True. So if you have a, a pain point on your PC, even where maybe you have to zip up these three files and you have to clean up the, this directory, that can be a little console application. It doesn't have to be this enterprise wide massive application. It can do one little task and do it well. I've used console applications to print out reports for, you know, the back office stuff, you know, like calculating uh, orders with sales tax, that kind of thing. And just, you know, create a little CSV file and send it to the user. And uh, it's it works great. Yeah. And, and of course, if we start talking about modern environments in general, it's like, could we be getting to voice control and all sorts of things where the UX is completely different? But mm. I don't know if that's appropriate in an office. Actually, the other thing that hit me about you know, the, the client side development side is deployment. Yeah. You know, zeroing out the deployment conversation, which when I think about stuff like Electron and Blazor and so forth, that's all zeroing out the deployment where anything that has an executable that needs to be loaded on the workstations in an office. Well, the story in .NET 3 is better for that, right? Yeah, it is. And I think that that the idea of Blazor and being able to eliminate a lot of those installer problems is, is excellent. But there is still that case where you want more control over what gets installed. 
things like um, maybe a database gets pulled down, like a SQLite database and gets put somewhere or changes to the PC happen. So there are some edge cases still that we can still bring the full desktop application to. So it's not a, it's not a complete story, but I definitely think it's a, a really nice upgrade for the vast majority of us who just want to get our application on the user's PC. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's just, can you get it on there reliably? I mean, definitely side by side and things have made our lives easier as far as the .NET framework is concerned. But I mean, as the IT guy, more and more, we're just seeing shops where they do everything they can to avoid needing permissions onto the box in any way. And, uh, and all this web stuff does that really, really well. So Tim, does your course in bringing a WinForms application to .NET Core uh, is that going to work for .NET Core 3 as well, or are you going to do a, a different or uh, an addendum for that? So I built it for .NET Core 3 because that's where, yeah. you know, WinForms and WPF really lives. And so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a class library, which goes to actually .NET standard 2.0. Beautiful. But then it's WinForms, it's WPF, and it's ASP.NET MVC. And oh. all of those go to their .NET Core 3 equivalent. That's cool. And where can we check all that stuff out? I am timcorey.com. I am timcorey.com. C O R E Y, right? Correct. That's awesome. Uh, anything that you want to uh, mention before we sign off? Anything else? So I have a YouTube channel. Um, I'd love to for you to check it out. I, the purpose behind what I do is I want to make software developers' lives easier. Yeah. And so that's why twice a week I put out videos to help you get better in C Sharp. So check it out. All right. And we'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. Very cool, Tim. Thanks a lot. Hey, it's been fun geeking out with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes,